This is the Unstoppable Podcast, where we are dedicated to bringing you comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God. We hope this podcast will encourage, equip, and empower you with meaningful insight from the Word of God to receive His promises and live a life without limits. As you realize your potential, you will join a dynamic group of passionate people who are actively bringing the unstoppable power of heaven into the darkest places on earth. Here is your host, Justin Self. Hello, this is Justin Self, and I just want to wish you a Merry Christmas. And I know some of you may be listening to this outside of Christmas and you're thinking, hey, maybe I should skip this episode. Don't skip it. This is going to be an awesome episode. I know any time of the year that you listen, this is going to be helpful for you. You're going to learn something brand new from the Word of God, and it's really going to change your life. But I am recording this before Christmas, and I do believe that studying the Christmas story in the Bible is so powerful. Now, in the small town that I live in, they do this amazing thing where the police department actually has someone dress up as Santa And they drive up and down every single street in the city with lights and they do carols and Christmas music and stuff. And they have this whole entourage of police cars and, you know, Christmas lights and it's all lit up and beautiful. And it's for all the children. I mean, any children, you can just, the kids can run out and they'll get special treats from Santa. They'll get candy and they'll also get little stuffy toys. This is something, it's a Christmas tradition that me and my family look forward to every single year. And without fail, I forget about it every single year. This is the fifth year we've been down here and the fifth year this has happened. You'd think I would remember this, but I don't. Every year I forget about it. And so just the other night, I I hear all these police sirens and I'm like, man, there must be something going on. You know, I wonder what that's about. But then I kept hearing it and I'm like, what is? And then finally I realized, oh, Santa, Santa, you know. So Jenny was putting Caleb down to sleep, actually. And I ran in there. She almost had him down. And I busted the door open. Santa's coming, you know. And everybody, whoa, what's going on? Get upstairs. And of course, it's already way past his bedtime. And so now we're all jazzed. And so we spent the next hour and a half waiting for Santa to come. And the whole time, Jenny was saying, I don't think it's tonight. I don't think it's tonight. And I said, I know it's tonight. I've been hearing them, you know. And we're looking at the front door. We're looking at the back door. We've got all these different angles where it's like, I remember last year, you know, you could see the lights on this neighborhood over here. So I know he's coming soon, you know. And Jenny, you know, Caleb's in a blanket, you know. And man, we ended up spending way too much time waiting and just looking and watching for Santa. And he never came. And we concluded that we missed it again because we missed it one year. And Caleb cried and it was horrible. And so the next night we looked online and they, sure enough, they said that they would come another night, you know, possibly in our area. So we're thinking, okay, this is it. And so that night we, we had to run to the store. And so Caleb and I ran to the store and man, we went into that store quickly and we came out as fast as we could because we wanted to get home in time for Santa to drive up and down our street so we could get our little cheap, you know, Dollar Tree, you know, stuffy, but it's the experience, right? And so what, what I'm sharing with you is, tra- track with me, this is important. We're, we're looking for Santa. Our eyes are, are looking, you know, we're listening. We're th- And then, then it gets dark out. And so it's like, we're looking for the lights and the sirens and we can see them and we're texting our neighbors. Oh, I see them over there. I see them over here and all this stuff. And, and finally, Santa comes up our street and we ran downstairs and Caleb got his little stuffy, right? And you know, that experience is kind of funny and, and it's a really fun little family tradition that we have every year. And I love the fact that our city does it. But you know what it got me thinking about? It really got me thinking about looking to like the anticipation aspect, right? Like we're just anticipating Santa coming and the gifts and all this. And, and it was just this really fun waiting and looking experience, you know? And it just reminded me of Jesus looking ahead to Jesus's return, 
right? The Bible talks about it, but how many of us are actually doing that? Like, are you, this is a question for you. Are you actually looking ahead to Jesus's return? Now, Jesus is coming soon. Jesus Christ is coming back soon, really, really soon. And it's, and especially around Christmas time, it's easy for us to have anticipation about all sorts of different things. But personally, I want to maintain my anticipation for Jesus's return. And not only just, not only his return in the future, but I want to maintain my glow, my passion, my energy for Jesus himself as a person. That's why this episode is completely dedicated to studying the birth of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. I thought that was kind of a fun thing. It really got me thinking about looking forward, anticipating. So again, my challenge to you this Christmas season, what are you anticipating? I know it sounds cliche, but really, honestly, think about it. And I believe that today's episode is really going to touch your heart. It's going to encourage you. And I'm going to show you some things brand new that maybe you've never heard before from the word of God and from history and tradition about the Christmas story. Some of these things you may have never heard before. I know I never heard any of this stuff until, I guess, (laughs) several years ago now, but I've been studying these things for about a decade now. But since before that time, I I had no idea behind this. Like, for instance, I'm here to tell you, and I'm going to explain this, that Jesus was not born in a barn. Jesus was not laid in a wooden manger, just like we see in all the Christmas cards and all these movies and things. I'm going to explain what are swaddling clothes. What's the significance? You know, he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. What does that mean? What's that about? And I'm even going to talk a little bit about the wise men. The wise men weren't even there on the night Jesus was born. That's, I mean, very easy to show from scripture. And we'll get into that. And finally, my favorite part, we're going to talk about why did the angels show up to those specific shepherds? Religious tradition says that it's because, oh, they were just poor and they were just, you know, kind of an, 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 a nobody, you know, and oh, God shows up to the poor. Yes, it's true that God does absolutely show up for anybody and the gift of salvation is for anybody. But I'm here to tell you, there's a different reason. There was a specific reason that God showed up to those shepherds. And I believe you're going to really be encouraged by this. I just want to start out by saying that this podcast episode is possible because of the generous support of our partners. Thank you so much if you're a partner with Unstoppable, if you're helping us move this thing forward, and if you're giving to us or if you're giving through us to our partners in Kenya. We're doing community development programs in Kenya. We're, we're buying Bibles in Kenya. We're, we're feeding the poor in Kenya. We're doing really, really cool things in Kenya through our team. And so I just wanted to thank you and say that you are a part of that. You are changing lives overseas. You're changing lives all over the world. There's people listen to this podcast all over the world. It's amazing. So thank you. Now, if you aren't a partner yet, please, you know, pray about it and think about becoming a partner. You can take part in this. I want to give you an opportunity to invest with us and sow seeds of solid teaching of God's word, encouraging, empowering, developing people all over the earth. Okay. So it's awesome. And again, thank you so much for being a part. All right, so I want to start with, with Jesus was not born in a barn. So if you have your Bibles, and I know some of you are driving, so don't worry about it, but I'm going to read the scripture to you. We're going to start out in Luke chapter 2. You may remember Luke chapter 2 is the classic Christmas story. This is the one that I learned when I was growing up. Uh, I can't quite quote it the way I could back then, you know, line by line, but, but I've got it pulled up here, and I'm going to read it to you. So in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it says, and it came to pass in those days, and I'm reading out of the New King James Version, by the way. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, 
who was with child. Verse 6, So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, I want to point out that, I mean, we could spend hours and hours on this, but like I said, I want to, I want to try to keep this uh, to just a couple bullet points for you. But I want to show you that Jesus was not born in a barn. In the Bible, I don't have anything that I can point to specifically that says he was born, you know, here and there. So, so I am going to go outside of the Bible here to history. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing that. I'm not going to look up history and I'm going to preach it as gospel saying this is absolutely 100% God's word when it's history, right? So I want you to take that with a grain of salt. When I'm when I'm sharing these things from history, I believe we can trust these things because, you know, historical records and there's eyewitnesses and there's all the stuff. But I also want to point out to you that there are people who have studied this thing out that there's arguments about this stuff. So I want you to understand I'm not preaching this as, as absolute gospel, but I am showing you that there's a lot of eyewitness accounts. When I say eyewitness accounts, I mean, there's people who have interviewed you know, descendants of the people who were around during the time of Jesus's birth and all that stuff. And I'm not going to go too much into it, but I do want you to understand this is historical evidence. This is outside the Bible. These are from church fathers, church history, Jewish tradition, and things like that. So I'm personally convinced. I think this is the real deal. And I do believe that this is true. I'm not going to make a doctrine out of it. And you'll see why. What I want to point out to you is that in the area around Jerusalem, and many of you have been to Jerusalem before, so you can totally verify this, there's this place called the Shepherd's Field. And there's shepherd's caves all around there. So what they would do is the shepherds would watch the flocks, they would watch the sheep in the plains around Bethlehem. Uh, excuse me, I think I said Jerusalem, but I meant Bethlehem. And, and there are caves, and the caves are where the shepherds would go when the mama lambs were going to give birth to the baby lambs. They would go into these caves and help them give birth, and then they would take the little lambs and they would put them in the cave. Now, in the cave, there was a cutout in the wall, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's okay, I'm going to go for it. <laughs> there was a cutout in the wall, a stone cutout, or sometimes it was actually a stone block in the middle of the floor, and it was just kind of, you know, they would chip away at it and make a little feeding trough, but that was also where they would lay the baby lambs when they were when they were born. That was the manger. The, if you look in the Greek, the Greek word in the New Testament for manger, and if you look it up in history, you'll see that this was used interchangeably for this type of feeding trough for the baby lambs. So what I'm trying to do is show you that when jo Mary and Joseph went into this, this place, this cave, because there was no room for them in the inn, they gave birth in this place and it wasn't this wooden shack or wooden, you know, structure that we see. It was more than likely a cave outside of the shepherd's field out in, in Bethlehem, where it was used specifically for these baby lambs and these other little, little creatures. Now, I want to also point out that the reason that there was no room in the inn was because everybody was traveling for this great census, this registration, you know. Can you imagine what that was like? Just imagine in your own life if suddenly the government said, hey, every single person has to go back up to where you were born. Go back to your city where you were born. I mean, man, I'm a thousand miles away from where I was born, man. That'd be a pain for me to do this. Uproot our family. You gotta, you know, you're, what are you gonna do? You're not working. You can't, you're not getting paid, right? Businesses are losing money. People are losing money. How are you gonna survive on this? You hope you have a savings account for the trip. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this would be a tremendous inconvenience to everybody. And so they go. And the reason there was no room for the end I believe there's no room for them in the end, I believe, is because Mary and Joseph were not traveling as fast as the other people were because Mary was great with child. I mean, how would you like to have, you know, any mothers out there, how would you like to have a baby 
after walking or riding on a donkey for six or seven days. Oh man, I can't even imagine. That would be crazy. So they, they weren't as fast as the other, you know, travelers. They had to go slowly. She had to take a lot of bathroom breaks. You know what I'm saying? She had to rest and, and they had to like camp out in the wild all this time. And so I believe that they simply just showed up later than other people, which is why there was no room for them in the end. There's no historical evidence. There's no evidence in the Bible anywhere that, you know, there's this religion, religious tradition that says, oh, Joseph and Mary were just, they were just so poor. They couldn't afford it. I don't think that's, that's true. I don't think you can make that claim. In fact, Joseph... There's actually scriptural evidence that Joseph was a stone worker, a stonemason, and not a carpenter. See, now I'm opening all these cans of worms. I just, you know, I just love the Christmas story. I can't stop. <laughs> but here's a side note is that Joseph was not just this poor carpenter building wood chairs and coffee tables, you know, in Nazareth. If you look at the Greek word, it actually carries the idea of a master, either a project manager or a master skilled craftsman when it comes to stones or precious stones. It's very likely that Joseph was working on like stonemasonry or carvings or even artwork. That word can actually carry the idea of somebody who works on fine sculptures in artwork and artistic renderings with, with special gems and those types of things. So how amazing is that? Like Joseph, again, all this stuff I want to bring out to you is that I just want to encourage you to read the Bible and, and study it out yourself. You'll see that what you see in the word of God isn't necessarily what we see on the, the greeting cards or what we see, you know, on TV all the time. There's so much more to the word of God. And so, okay, that was kind of, that was kind of tangential, but I do want to mention that they were, there's a lot of, there's a lot more to the Christmas story than maybe you and I have ever learned. And that's why I'm excited about this. So, and I want to read some history to you now. So this is crazy. So in 135, in the year 135, the emperor at the time had, there's, this is straight history, he built a pagan temple on the site where it was commonly you know, circulated and it was kind of common, I guess, knowledge of where Jesus was born in the cave that he was born. This emperor, Hadrian, built a pagan temple for the worship of Adonis, the human lover of the false god Aphrodite, and built that right on top of the place where Jesus was said to be born. And the church writer, early church writer Jerome claimed that this grotto or this high place, this worship place had been consecrated to the worship of Adonis in an attempt to wipe out the memory of Jesus. Wouldn't that be just like Satan? He can't stop Jesus from coming. He can't stop Jesus from dying on the cross and doing all this stuff, although he tries. And, and so afterwards he says, well, I'll, I'll wipe him out. And so they tried to wipe it out by putting a, you know, worship temple from to a false God on top of this thing. I just think that's interesting. I also want to point out that the early writer Origen of Alexandria in 248, he wrote, he wrote these words, and I'm just going to read this from my notes. I'm going to quote it. It says, in Bethlehem, the cave is pointed out where he was born and the manger in the cave where he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. And the rumor is in those places and among the foreigners of the faith that indeed Jesus was born in this cave who is worshiped and reverenced by the Christians. Now let's go forward in time. The year 313, Emperor Constantine, you may have heard his name before. He uh, was obviously a Roman emperor. And up until that point, there had been tremendous persecution of the Christians. And you can read all about that. And he gave this thing called the Edict of Milan in uh, 83, uh, AD, the year 313. And this basically gave Christians legal status and it actually stopped the persecution um, up to that point. Now, that's really cool for the Christians, right? It's awesome. And I'm sure you know the story where his mother gets born again at some point or, you know, gets con experiences conversion. 
Now, this is really interesting, and I think this adds, you know, value to what I'm saying here about this cave. Um, Helena, Constantine's mother, she actually made a trip to the Holy Land, backed by Roman state funds, and her son, Constantine, said, hey, go, go on this mission. Her mission was to research and locate significant items and also locations that were mentioned, you know, in the Gospels of Jesus's life and ministry. And during her travels, she's credited with discovering the location of the birth cave of Jesus. And so in the 300s, I think, yeah, 325, she erected the first church there. Now, that church was the first church to be built, a Christian church to be built on the site of where Jesus was said to be born. Again, remember, it used to be a pagan temple. So she figures this out, knocks it out, puts a, a Christian church up. Now, in the year 529 or so, it was destroyed through, um, through some conflict, and then the emperor Justinian uh, rebuilds it. And so this is pretty cool. If you go to Israel today, this church, um, the Church of the Nativity is still there. And this is the one that was built in 529. So for the, you know, the rough, roughly uh, 1500 years as of today, since that time, that church has been there. And again, the, the history and the tradition and, and, and all these writings and things do point to that being the location. And so I think that's cool. And I just wanted to point out to you that history shows that uh, Jesus was not born in a barn, you know, a wood stable, like we think. Now, again, that's history, that's tradition, take it or leave it. I think it's cool. I think the history checks out. And I just wanted you to know about that because I think that's interesting. Now, I want to talk to you about swaddling clothes. This is really cool. Swaddling clothes, if you've ever had a baby, you know that when you when they're first born, you need to swaddle them, meaning you need to wrap them up with a cloth really tightly and get them just totally bound up, you know, just like they were in the womb and get them really comfortable and, and warm, you know, keep them warm. So what's interesting about this story is that the shepherds, remember I told you that the shepherds in the shepherd's field would bring the baby lambs or the moms to be a birth to the baby lambs. What's, what's interesting is that the swaddling clothes, if you look at it in the Greek, it is in fact the same word used for the type of cloth that was used to wrap the legs of a little baby lamb when it was first born. If you wrap their little legs, you can keep them safe. Otherwise, they'll you know break their little legs and, and get hurt. And it's the, it's the same idea as swaddling a, a baby um, human <laughs> when they're born. You swaddle them up real tight. It's interesting to me that that Greek word does carry the same meaning as the, as the, the swaddling clothes used for baby lambs. Again, in the cave. Okay, stay with me on this. And again, the manger. What is a manger? It wasn't this wood you know, wood thing with a bunch of hay in it that you got cattle lowing and, and all this kind of stuff in there. And there may have been other animals in there. In fact, that was a common use of the caves. But I wanted to point out that the manger was actually a stone cut out. And again, this manger wasn't just used for food. It was actually used to place little baby lambs. When they were first born, they'd wrap them up in swaddling clothes and lay them in a manger. I think that's amazing. Let's keep reading. I've skipped ahead. I've skipped ahead, but I'm going to go back to Luke chapter two, verse seven. And it says, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. There's that word and laid him in a manger. There's that word because there was no room for them in the end. I want to, before I go on to the country, uh, the shepherds in the country, because that's kind of where I want to end with this. I want to speak to you just for a moment about the wise men. Oftentimes we hear or see uh, Christmas stories or pageants or any, you know, these things with the magi, the, the wise men were there on the, the night that Jesus was born. Now, Caleb and I, we'd love to watch this, this little movie called The First Noel, and it's wonderful, and it's cute, and it's sweet, 
but it's wrong. <laughs> it's it's historically wrong, you know, because they show Jesus being born in this this stable, you know, and they have the wise men who show up the very moment that Jesus is born and all this. And man, that's just not that's not how it is. Let me show you from scripture. So in your Bible, go to Matthew chapter two, and I'm gonna read a few verses here. And I don't have time to get into the star. I'd love to talk about the star. Maybe we'll do that on another episode. But again, I've done some research on the star and being an aerospace major, I, you know, I'm very interested in you know, astronomics and certain things of that nature. And it does seem that the star was, pro- and you probably heard this on the news and, and stuff like that. It's, it's come out in recent years that it's possible that that star Bethlehem was actually the conjunction of two planets, right? And so that would make it extremely bright. And again, that would explain some of its movement, right? Because it, it moves um, left and right, forward and backward, you know, and, and that's why it could it could move and it could appear to stay in one place because relative to Earth, the planets could be moving, you know, in a parallel direction or, or a, you know, one of those types of directions where it's, it's making a corner or making a curve in its trajectory. But relative to the Earth, it looks like it's standing still. I don't know if that if that blew over your head. Don't worry about it. Okay, we're not going to get into that. But but I want to talk about the wise men really quick. Matthew chapter two. It says now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Now I want to point out that these magi were amazing. The word is magos or magos in the Greek. It was actually like a, a position. These guys were almost kings. In fact, they were known as king makers. These people in the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, and other Eastern Oriental countries, these magi would have the power to you know, speak a word to the king and change a nation. These guys were tremendously, I mean, filthy rich, absolutely, absolutely wealthy, 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 wealthy people. They were highly revered in their culture. They shared the wisdom, they shared the knowledge, they had the maximum education. These were the people who were teaching the schools, the professors, these are the guys doing the research, you know, all this stuff. These were the scholars of the day. These weren't just some we three kings po-dunking around on their camels coming and bringing three little boxes of gifts, right? There's so much more to this story, but I'm just gonna point out that historically the Magi were fabulously wealthy. And so it's interesting to me that we think of this story as, okay, the Magi show up as just three people. And I understand that there is tradition that gives the names of the three people. I get that. But historically, you see the Magi, if you look at the historical context, and if you look at like how they would uh, celebrate a king's birth, it wasn't just two or three guys with some boxes. When they would celebrate any king's birth, it was absolutely extravagant. It was insane. It was ridiculous. They would shower gifts on this baby new king like you wouldn't believe. I mean, the wealth is just beyond anything that we could imagine in this culture today. It's just unbelievable. They would literally bring caravans, right? Think about Solomon and the Queen of Sheba and think about the caravans of spices and the caravans of gold and all this kind of stuff. Think about that. That's the kind of thing that these magi were known for with celebrating the birth of a king. Now, these magi knew that this was the king of all kings. They knew that this was the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord over all the earth. Can you just, again, looking at the historical context, imagine what kind of gifts they brought. Was it gold, frankincense, and myrrh? You know, just like these three little tiny little treasure chests and they open it and, oh, there's your gold, there's your frankincense, there's your myrrh, you know? I don't I don't believe so. Again, looking at the, at the history and again, hey, 
I admit that some of this is, this is not in the Bible, okay? So again, take this with a grain of salt, but I want you to hear the historical context. And, and I do want to show you from the Bible how these Magi, uh, how they did come to Jesus. And I believe they, they showered him with major, major gifts. I believe it was caravans of people. I believe it was just incredible riches and wealth. More on that later. But check this out. We're going to go back to the Bible. Verse four in Matthew chapter two, excuse me, verse three. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Man, Herod was a bad dude. All right, I'm going to skip that for now. Verse four, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Matthew 2, uh, verse 7. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. That word in the Greek is actually demanded. He, he put them under scrutiny. He demanded vehemently demanded from them one time the star appeared. This guy was not treating the kingmakers with very much respect, was he? Hmm. And he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I might come and worship him also. I want you to notice that in that verse, in Matthew chapter two, verse eight, when he says, go, go, go and search carefully for the young child. Remember, he had just determined from them when they had saw, seen the star. And so based on that, he was able to do some math and he said, go and search carefully for the young child. Well, that word in the Greek is not the same word as baby. This word in the Greek is paedion, paedion. And this literally carries the idea or it means a young child, a more advanced child, a mature child, or even one uh, expositor has said it's a half grown child. <laughs> But most of the scholarship uh, agrees that it's about a child that um, is about two years old, two years old. But definitely, definitely in the Greek, this does not carry the idea of an infant just born. So that's the first clue. We see that Jesus was already two years old by this time, right? He was a young child. He was a mature child. He was a more advanced child. Now, maybe he was older than two, but again, uh, most of the Greek scholarship agrees that it was around two years old. Either way, he wasn't in that cave at that moment being born. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph on this little short one-time trip to be, you know, to be registered and they give birth in the cave? What an experience. And then they stay there? No, they went back home. And look, check this out. The very next couple verses later, check this out. When they had heard the king, verse nine, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. What I want you to notice about this is it doesn't say that it was in Bethlehem. It doesn't say anything about Bethlehem. All it says was that Herod sent them to Bethlehem. I want you to notice that. So Herod sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search diligently for the young child around two years old. And when you have found him, bring, him, bring back word to me so that I may come and worship him also. Herod knew from the prophecy that the Christ was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. So he assumed that he was born and raised in Bethlehem. He didn't have any clue that it could have been this crazy census thing. Notice that it says uh, in verse 10, when they saw the star, star, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. They were ecstatic over this star. They were so full of joy. They were just nearly jumping up and down over the star. They'd been following it, following it, following it. 
This has been unlike anything they had ever seen in all of their astronomy careers and all of their studies. This is just unprecedented. And now they know that it means the Christ child is going to be born. Listen, my friends, I'm going to make an application right here. This star represented the Christ, Jesus Christ, the only king, the king of all the earth. Remember, these are king makers. These guys are used to worldly, earthly kings. Okay, They didn't travel like this for anybody. How, how many earthly kings do you know? who are announced in the heavens. God himself, friend, sent Jesus Christ down to earth to be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, our savior and our deliverer. And he was so happy. How many of you have ever sent out invitations or announcements over the birth of your child, right? How many of you are just excited to show pictures to your friends at work of your new baby? I know you've done it. Those of you who are parents, I know you have all bothered your friends at work. You've all annoyed everybody around you by showing them so many pictures on your phone of your new baby because your phone is just full of those new pictures of your new baby because that's all you want to do is share about your baby. God is the same way. And God did it, not with a smartphone, but he did it in the stars. Man, God announced the birth of his son through the stars. Top that cell phone. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Isn't that awesome? And so this is the King of Kings. Jesus is the Lord of Lords. Some of you may not believe in Jesus. Some of you may believe that he was a good man and that he actually historically did exist and all this because there's so much evidence on it. But some of you are doubting the fact that he's really the Lord and King over all. I'm here to tell you, friends, the Bible is true. I've seen the Bible work too many times for it to be false. I know that sounds silly to you, but I'm telling you right now, the Bible is absolutely true. Jesus, I've met Jesus, I've met God, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and he has changed my life. He is alive and well today, and it's because he was born that wonderful day way back when, in that cave, God sent his only son into the world, and there's nothing you can do that can separate you from this love, from this power, from this relationship with the eternal God, you know, once you receive him. And so I'm encouraging you, if you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's paid the way for you. He died on the cross. That's why he came to earth. That's the whole point of this entire story is that God himself came to earth to take the sin of the world upon him. Now, some I've had people ask me before, why did Jesus have to die on the cross to take away my sin? That seems weird. You know what I mean? And I agree. At first glance, it does seem kind of weird. But if you think about the physics involved, it makes sense. Adam in the beginning sinned and sin came into the human race and it came in every single child that Adam had, sin was in his blood. And you know that the male is the one who passes on the blood. Um, My wife is studying to to be a nurse midwife. She's, She's a nurse in labor and delivery right now. And so we talk about this and she shares with me how, you know, the baby's blood is separate from the mom's blood. I didn't know that. I thought they were They mix, but they don't mix ordinarily, right? And so the baby's blood is actually from the father. And so what's interesting to me is that through Adam's bloodline, right? Adam and Eve in the beginning, there's sin, sins in the world, sins in the bloodline. So sin gets passed down through the fathers, which of course goes into the, to everybody. I mean, every single person was born into the world with sin, but think of it as like a sinful bloodline. There's nothing you can do about it. That's why it's not your works that are condemning you. It's not your works that are making you a sinner. It's not necessarily your works. I mean, with a sinful nature that you're born with, you're going to automatically do sinful works. So all of us have done sinful works. Like, if you know what I mean, we've, we've done sinful acts. We've done things of sin, okay? But it's not because, this is, the, this is the difference here. It's not because of your sinful acts, your wrong outweighs your right, that people go to hell. That's not the point. Even if your right or your good outweighed the wrong things you've done, 
if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're not going to go to heaven. And I know, I know that's harsh. I know that's not popular. I know people don't want to hear that. I'm trying to sh- help you. I'm trying to encourage you with this. So, so stay tuned here. Please don't, don't, don't shut me off. Not, not yet, at least. <laughs> but think about it this way. If the bloodline from Adam all the way down is, is tainted, right, with sin, how is God going to do this? How does God get rid of that? <laughs> you know, what, is he going to wipe everybody out? I mean, we have the flood. We can talk about that later. But what, is he going to wipe everybody out and, and, and start again? I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't work. That doesn't make sense. Sin is already in the world. Satan is the God of this world, is what it says in the Bible. So sin is already here. And so the way that it works and, and why it matters that Jesus came down the way he did, and, and this is literally why the virgin birth had to happen. He had to physically take form on the earth. Okay, Jesus had to physically take form as a human. As a human being, if he died with sin, he could actually physically take that sin down to hell. But the paradox is that if he is a human, then he's got that sinful blood. So God you know, basically impregnates Mary supernaturally. And so now Mary's carrying a baby that doesn't have human man blood that has been tainted by sin. She has this holy blood. Isn't that the craziest thing you've ever thought of? This baby in Mary's womb actually had holy blood, God, Father, blood. There's not one drop of sin in that blood. That's why Jesus did everything he did without sinning. It's because it was his nature from the get-go to be a child of God, because he was a child of God, right? Holy and pure. Now, you and I can become that clean. That's the crazy part. You and I can become that clean by partaking and receiving of what Jesus did. And we can take that upon ourselves and we can become born again. And our sinful blood, our sinful nature can be eradicated by the blood of Jesus. So Jesus raises up. He does. He lives a perfect life. He dies on the cross. He carries, the Bible says that God put all of the sin of the world on him as a man. And as a man with sin on him, he went to hell and, and he died. He died on the cross and went to hell. And the great thing is, is the Bible says that he didn't stay in hell, but he rose again. When he rose again, he left all that sin in hell. He left all that, that bloodline, all that kind of stuff. He took care of it. He defeated it once and for all. He rose up again, victorious over hell, the grave and death. Man, I'm excited about, I hope, man, woo, I said, hey, I'm excited about that, man. Praise God. That's cool. Hopefully that made sense to you. Hopefully that helps a little bit about the physics of why Jesus had to die on a cross. It wasn't because it was some religious tradition. It was because the shedding of blood forgives sin. That's the way it's supposed to go. That's the covenant that God has with people. The shedding of blood, you notice in the Old Testament, okay? So Jesus rises again. So again, this was kind of a tangent, but I was I was talking about how Jesus is the son of God. He is the king of all kings. The Magi knew that they weren't coming to worship just a regular king. This was a king of all kings. This was the ultimate king of all the earth. And God himself, the creator of the universe, sent out a greeting card to everybody saying, hey, my son's gonna gonna be born, check it out. And he does it by aligning the planets. I mean, come on, if you're watching the planets all day, that's that you're like, okay, I'm going, you know? And so the Magi, so wow, that was a tangent. But <laughs> there you go, the wise men, the Magi, awesome, right? And I wanna show you this, this is the cool part here, check this out. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy, verse 11, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child, Paedion, again, with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I want to point out that they came into the house, right? Again, the word in the Greek is definitely for a house, not a cave. 
Okay. This was in Nazareth. Remember, Joseph and Mary were from Nazareth in the beginning in Luke chapter 2, verse 4. They came from Nazareth. They went all the way down to Bethlehem. And then after the registration, they went back to Nazareth, lived their life. They had a home. They were working. They were doing their thing, raising baby. And suddenly these magi show up out of nowhere. I mean, knock, knock, knock. Who's at the door? Is it the mail? Is it the milk? What's going on? Oh, no. It's like an entourage of kings. Okay, filling up their house with treasures. What's going on? What's really interesting to me, why did why did the Magi bring so much money? Why did they bring so much riches? Let's keep reading. Verse 12, then being divinely warned in a dream that they, the Magi, should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Verse 13, Matthew chapter 2. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So suddenly, again, knock, knock, knock on the door. Here's all these kings. They leave and like you're flooded with treasure and you're thinking this has been a very interesting day. You know, I I woke up not thinking it would end like this. Well, that very night, Joseph gets a dream and God says, get out of here. You got to get up and move right now and go. And actually, the next verse says that Joseph picked up his family by night. That very, very night, they got up and they left. Well, how did did Joseph finance that trip? I believe God provided the supernatural finances through those magi, through the gifts. They had treasures now. Joseph instantly became extremely, fabulously wealthy in a moment. And that very same night, God asks him to go. God tells him to go. And so I want to encourage you, friend, when you're following God, when you're in the middle of God's will, He will always provide for you. Okay, I'm not just saying that to sound pat or cute or religious. I'm telling you from experience, when you are in the middle of God's will, every need of yours will be supplied. There there is always going to be a provision for the vision, right? Whenever God gives you a vision and and you're following him, you're listening to him, you're doing what you know to do, you're in close communion with him, he will always provide everything you need to fulfill everything that he's called you to do. As an example, you've heard my story many times. I'm going to school right now. It's very expensive. Jenny is going to school. That's very expensive. We have kids in daycare. We have kids at school that we we have to pay money for, right? This is not a cheap season of our lives. But you know what? God is faithful. We're working hard. We're doing our diligence. We're doing what we know to do. But God provides everything that we need. And it's not because we're super saints. It's not because we're more holy than anyone else right? It's because we're trusting him that he's leading us. We have stepped out in faith. We have hung everything we have on him. Man, I got no backup plan on this thing. We have no backup plan. It's either God comes through and is faithful or we're done. I absolutely, I mean that with all my heart and I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to live in such a way where you are in such a pursuit of God's will for your life that you're so fully committed to doing what he's called you to do as a family, as a single person, as a faithful employee, as a business owner, right? As a student, whatever it is that you're doing that God's called you to do. I encourage you to be faithful in that thing, but to trust him that he will provide everything you need. I know I'm speaking to somebody right now. You just, you need to go for it. You need to get off the bench and you need to stop being so worried about your finances. You need to stop being so concerned about what other people are going to think. You need to stop being so concerned and worried and scared over what you see in your bank account before you go out and do God's will. No, you've heard from God. You need to go for it. Again, I know I'm speaking to somebody right now. You got to go for it. Step out. You've heard from God. You have heard from him enough. He's waiting for you to go for it and step out. 
And I believe that's a lesson we can learn from Joseph as well. He stepped out, he did it, he was obedient, and he was a man of God. I want to wrap up this episode with my favorite part, the angels and the shepherds. Let's go back to the book of Luke, chapter 2. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 8. We just read about how she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said unto them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born unto you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this is a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God on the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us know, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass. The Greek actually says, let us see this word, rhema, Greek rhema word. Let us see this word that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. You know, for many years as I read that, I always would wonder, okay, this will be a sign unto you. What does that mean? You know, it's a sign, right? You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger. Okay, that's weird, right? That, that would be a sign, right? That's kind of what I thought is these, these shepherds are going to go into town. They're going to somehow find the baby somehow. I don't know how they did it, but they're going to find the baby. And they're going to, they're, you know, they're going to find him wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Okay, that's, that's out of the ordinary. This must be the sign. But there's more to it than that. Lots of Jewish tradition, also historical tradition, says, and I'm not going to go too deep into this, okay, but I will, I want to introduce this concept to you. This, this tradition says that these shepherds were actually under the care of rabbis. Okay, so rabbis would actually instruct them and teach them how to care for the sheep. Why? What, what business do rabbis have with caring for sheep? Listen to this. The tradition says that these particular sheep in the fields of the shepherd's field outside of Bethlehem, were specifically being raised for temple sacrifices. Think about that for a second. So the shepherds that God's angels came to, they weren't just some podunk, anybody, you know, shepherds that were just out there doing their thing. Wow, that's amazing. You know, we're going to go check out this baby. These shepherds, and, and again, this is, this is, I want to point this out in the Bible. It says, this will be a sign unto you, a sign unto you. This would not have been a sign to someone else. Do you understand? This was a sign specifically unto them. This was a wonder that specifically would make sense just to them. Why? Because these, and I believe the tradition is true, because of the way that the Greek implies that this is a sign unto them, specifically them, you and only you, you're going to get this. This is a sign unto you. I'm speaking to you in your language, shepherds. I'm getting, you know, I'm giving this to you in your language. And so he says, you're going to find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Well, what were these shepherds used to doing all the time? They were used to taking baby lambs, right? The baby lambs who were to be the perfect blemish-free, spot-free sacrifices in the temple. Even Passover lambs. There's, it's possible that these were even being raised to be specifically Passover sacrifices. Perfect, spotless, white little lambs. 
And so when these shepherds heard the angel saying, this will be a sign unto you, you're going to find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Their minds instantly went to these little baby lambs, these white, perfect lambs. How many of you know that Jesus is called the Lamb of God that will take away the sins of the world? John the Baptist said that. Jesus is the Lamb. In the book of Revelation, it's described, it describes him being a Lamb, the Lamb of God. Jesus is the perfect Lamb. And how awesome is it that these shepherds had that in their minds? They had been used to this. This is their livelihood. And now, they, now, now the angel comes and talks to them and says, hey, this is going to be a sign unto you. You're going to find the babe, the Christ child, the Savior of the, of, the, of the world, the Lord, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. To them, this was indisputable. This was like, the, I mean, it's almost as if the angel said, look, the Messiah himself has been born and he is the one that you've been preparing for. You've been doing all this work your whole lives with these little lambs and you've been preparing the sacrifice, sacrificial lambs for the Passover. But check this out. I'm going to show you the end of this thing. I'm going to show you the actual sacrificial lamb. And they went. And it says that they went to find, right? They had to find. So they had to put some effort into finding the baby. But did they, they knew where to go. They knew, right? Where would you find swaddling clothes and, and a manger to a, to a shepherd who's used to that? They would check the field, the, the, the caves. They would check the caves. They knew exactly where to go. They would check all these caves and eventually they found the Christ child. And the Bible says that they fell down and worshiped him and said it was exactly at the, as the angel had said. These, then Now, these shepherds went out and they told, uh, it says here, and it says here that uh, now that when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Hey, isn't that awesome? Man, how would you like to be one of those shepherds where you're doing your thing and then suddenly an angel shows up and says, hey, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, what you've been preparing for. This, this is it. This is the real thing. All the stuff I've had you guys doing with preparing the lambs and the wrapping of the legs and the sacrificial lambs and all this stuff, I'm bringing you the ultimate sacrificial lamb. And so I believe, friends, that's why uh, God chose those shepherds. And I want to say to you today, God will speak to you in a way that you will understand. He spoke to the shepherds using language that they understand. And so I want to encourage you that when you're hearing God's voice, it doesn't necessarily have to sound like he speaks to other people. I mean, maybe I'm sharing a message or I'm sharing a story about how God speaks to me and you might hear someone else sharing the same thing. Well, that's not necessarily how God's going to speak to you. Remember, he spoke to these shepherds in the language that they understood. And I want to encourage you, listen to God in the everyday. He might be speaking to you through one of your hobbies. He might be speaking to you, uh, you know, in, in the context of what you're doing in your work. And he might be using that type of language. Now, I'm not saying that you just look for signs everywhere and you say, oh, you know, this happened, this happened, this happened. No, what I'm saying though, is, is to be encouraged that God will speak to you in a special way that will make sense to you. He'll confirm it with you in your heart. And my book, Face to Face, an 18 day journey of hearing God's voice as his friend. We, we talk about this in the book where you can hear God's voice. And, I'm, and in the book, I'm teaching people how to hear God's voice. And I'm encouraging you, uh, whether you've never heard God's voice before, or if you have heard him before, and you feel like you're a mature Christian, but this book will still encourage you and still empower you to hear God's voice in a clearer and more direct way. But what I wanted to point out is that when you're listening for God's voice, just don't, don't be turned off if it sounds familiar. Don't be turned off if it sounds like something that, you know, comes from an unlikely source. God is going to speak to you in your own way. God's going to speak to you in a way that you're going to understand. 
And so I want to encourage you that maybe you have heard God's voice before. Maybe you have heard his leadership and his guidance, but you may have passed it off. You may have passed it off as unimportant or unrelated because it didn't sound spiritual enough. Well, here's an example right here from scripture that God is speaking to people based on their knowledge, their expertise, their job, their understanding, their level of education, their home life, their history, all right? God is going to speak to you intimately and personally in such a way that you can understand him. All right, so I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. Hopefully this has been encouraging to you. I just want to, the big takeaway here is I want you to get into the word of God. I really want you to get into the Bible and to see what the Bible says and just open your mind and open your heart to the revelation that God is giving us through the Christmas story. And again, let's build that anticipation for Christmas, but build anticipation for Jesus, for the person of Jesus. I love Christmas, but I don't only love Jesus around Christmas. I love Jesus every time of the year, but Christmas is such an awesome opportunity for me to anticipate, build anticipation in my heart and to really consider these things and to think more about who he is, how he came down to earth and, and all these wonderful, wonderful gifts that he's given us through his word. So I encourage you and friend, if you're not born again yet, man, I encourage you to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and savior. Well, I've really enjoyed sharing these truths with you. I hope that really uh, opened up your mind to the Word of God, and I hope that really helped shift some things in you about what Christ actually did, what God did through this beautiful Christmas story. I hope you're encouraged to get into Luke chapter 2 and also Matthew chapter 2 and to study the Christmas story with your family. And I pray that your heart is just filled with anticipation for Jesus, the person of Jesus, this Christmas season. All right, bless you, love you. Thank you so much. We'll see you on the next podcast. Thank you for listening to The Unstoppable Podcast. For more resources, including previous episodes, blogs, and free downloadable content, visit us at unstoppableblog.net. You can also find us on Facebook at Unstoppable Blog. We hope this podcast has encouraged, equipped, and empowered you with meaningful insight from the Word of God to receive His promises and live a life without limits.